as it has been announced that our elders are away at a pastor's conference in the U.S., and even though we are a technologically advanced church, we'll not be taking advantage of technology and streaming a sermon from America. So this morning, what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be taking a break from our regular diet from the book of Acts, and we're going to be taking this as an opportunity to go back to the basics, to really just go back at the foundational teachings of what it is that we believe, or what the writer to the Hebrews calls milk and not solid food. And so this morning, our text is found in the letter of 1 John. So the letter of 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but the letter of 1 John. And we'll be looking at chapter 5 and the first five verses. Hear God's word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let us ask the Lord now to help us in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning asking for your grace. We pray that, Father, you may help us to be attentive to your word. Please remove all distractions. And we pray that you may come and meet each one of us where we are. Those, Father, that are living in rebellion, may your word come to them as a rebuke that leads to repentance. And those, Father, that need encouragement and sparing on in their walk, may your word come to them as encouragement to spare them on. And I pray for myself also, Father, help me to speak with clarity and help me to be faithful to your word. We pray for all these things now, in Jesus' name, amen. The last time I had the privilege of preaching here at Heritage uh, from this pulpit, I think actually it wasn't this exact pulpit, we still had the stand back then, we looked at a dialogue between a man named Nicodemus, a leader of the Pharisees, and the Lord Jesus Christ from John chapter 3. And in that dialogue, we saw that Nicodemus came to Christ in the night to ask him a question. And this question he didn't ask of Jesus Christ directly, but he implied it in the statements that he made to him. And the question that Nicodemus asked of the Lord Jesus Christ there in the story as John writes for us in the Gospel of John was this. How do I enter the kingdom of God? How do I see the kingdom of heaven? And it's in, in that text as we consider it then that we saw the answer that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to Nicodemus when he said to him that I truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ stressed to Nicodemus there that it is only through the new birth, it is only when someone is born again and recreated anew that they can then see the kingdom of God. We saw then that you know, people are starting in the kingdom of darkness. They are living in darkness. But it is a new birth that rescues them from darkness into light. It is only by being born again that people become the children of God and are then able to see the kingdom of God. And so then there is then a, a natural follow-up question that might come. The question that says, 
I understand that it is by the new birth that we see and enter the kingdom of God, that it is by being born again. But how do I know for myself? What things can I look to that can help me have assurance that indeed I have experienced this new birth? And that is the topic that the Apostle John deals with in the letter of First John. And so this morning we're going to be looking at this letter. We're going to limit our attention to the first five uh, verses of chapter 5, but really the argument is crossed out the whole letter. He, it's an argument that he makes throughout. And so even if we look at only the first five verses of chapter 5, we'll be looking at the different arguments that John makes in the rest of the, of, of the letter. So I do apologize in advance that we will be jumping around the letter of First John as we consider what John is saying here. And so just for some context on the letter itself, John is writing here to a church where false teachers have arisen within the church. There are those who have now come up and are now having positions of teaching within the church, and they are teaching the false message. They have false assurance themselves. They are falsely, they are false professors, and they are falsely giving themselves assurance that they are in the kingdom. But not only are they doing that, but they are also leading others astray. And so John, in explaining why he's writing this letter, he says in chapter 2, verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. It is a letter where he wants to equip the church with the tools that they will need to be able to identify those who are false teachers, to be able to identify those who are false professors, and to be able to identify the false message that is preached by these false professors. But at the same time, John wants to encourage those who do believe those who are truly born again. He doesn't want them to doubt their salvation. He wants them to have assurance that indeed they are born of God. And we see him saying this to them in chapter 5, verse 13. He says these words. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So that is the point that John is doing here in writing this letter. He wants to warn the church and expose the false teachers, but at the same time, he wants to encourage and strengthen those who do believe. And so in his approach in doing this, he wants to take them back to the basics. Because something that false teachers love to do is that they want to come with new revelation. They're like, I know what you were taught before, but this is the new revelation that I have received. Listen to what I'm saying to you. And John comes here as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he says to this church, that the things that he's saying to them are the things that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him, being the Lord Jesus Christ, and we proclaim to you. And so he comes to them here with the, me the apostolic message that he received himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ from Christ himself. And so the whole letter really is focused on these points, on, on exposing those who are false professors, but at the same time strengthening and encouraging those who are true believers. And so then you might ask that, you know, we, we get that this is the context of the church that John wrote to. Why is this then relevant for us today, though? Why is this topic relevant for us in 2022 in Johannesburg? And there are two reasons I think it's important for us to consider this topic of people being equipped with the tools to know if whether they are in the faith or not. And the first reason is that there's a lot of false assurance within our society. There's a lot of people who've assured themselves that in the kingdom of God while they actually are not. And we see this in the statistics. Over 80% of the people in South Africa profess to be Christians. Over 80% of the people in this country claim some affiliation to God. 
They claim that they have some form of hope that they will be in the kingdom of God. But is that the reality? When we look around, are people living as though they are Christians? Is this a country that, that shows that it has 80% Christians? And it is not only those who are professing to be Christians. Even those who belong to other faiths, they also claim some affiliation to God. They also make claims that they will be in God's kingdom. And so we have these instances of false assurance where people are holding on to things that are fake. They have assured themselves that they are in the faith while they actually are not. And the second reason why it's important for us to consider this message is this. There is then also a lack of assurance that can often happen to those who do believe. You know, the devil in his schemes, he likes to take advantage of instances of weakness. When you've had a moment where you've fallen into sin, he comes and accuses you. He wants you to doubt if you are truly saved. And so it is important then that we are equipped with the tools to be able to resist the devil with the truth when those attacks come and to be encouraged in our faith. And so John, in, in coming to this topic and really bringing it forth in the letter, he provides for us, or the tools that he provides for us are what theologians call three tests. So there are three tests that the Apostle John gives us in this letter of 1 John. And these tests are these. The first one is what is called the doctrinal test, the test of our doctrine, our theology. What is it that we believe? And it's not just what we believe about anything, but it is the question of what is our theology concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? So that is the first test that the Apostle John uses in order to see if whether someone is a false professor or a true believer in the Lord. And the second test that he gives us is what is the theologians have termed the social test. The social test has to do with our relationship with the body of Christ. How are we living and walking with the people sitting next to us here this morning? Because the way we do that proves whether we've got true faith and we're holding on to something that is genuine or if whether we are deceiving ourselves. And the last test that he gives us or the third test that he gives us is what's called the moral test. And this has to do with our conduct, especially with regards to the law of God. How are we walking? How are we living our lives? Because the way we do that either confirms that indeed we have been born again or it exposes us as false professors. And so we're going to look at these tests in turn, starting with the first one, which is the doctrinal test. So going to our text in verse 1 of chapter 5, listen to what the apostle says. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God has been born of God. So sorry, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Remember the question we're trying to answer here this morning. How can I know for myself if I have indeed been born again? How can I know that I've experienced the second birth? John says here that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the one through whom only we can go to God, then if that is what we're holding on to, then we have been born of God. And so there is a lie here that often goes around that was present in John's time and can also be present in our time that John is combating with this test here. And this is the lie. The lie that says that I can go to God except through Christ. Or I can go to God through Christ plus something else. You know, finding our own path, carving our own path to the Lord, ignoring the one that he has set for us. And John wants us to know this morning that anyone who holds on to anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ is deceiving himself. And he uses very strong language when he does this. 
No. If we check in, in chapter 2, verse 23, listen to what he says. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So if you deny Christ, if you deny him as your only and sole hope for salvation, you then do not have the Father. If we claim affiliation to the kingdom of God, but yet we are not holding on to Christ as our only and sole hope for salvation, we are deceiving ourselves. For it is Christ himself who says in John 14, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. And so it is important then for us to realize that we have to hold on to Christ and him alone. And so if what we are holding on to or what we believe, you know, if we think of your equation, it is Christ plus something, Christ plus my works, Christ plus my ancestors, whatever it is, if it is not only Christ on the one side of the equation, on the other side you do not have life. It is Christ only on this side. If you are holding on to that and that alone, then be assured that you have been born of God. And so what then do we need? Because he says here in verse 1 that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So what are the things that we need to believe about Jesus? We need to believe that he is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one through whom we have salvation. And outside of him, there is no hope. And again, as I said, John uses very strong language. You just looked at now as verse 23 of chapter 2. Just earlier, listen to what he says in verse 22 of chapter 2. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He uses strong language calling people liars. They are deceiving themselves. They are lying to themselves and to others if they are holding on to anything but Christ himself. And so this first test that he uses here is that we ought to examine ourselves and check what are we holding on to? What are we trusting in? Is it Jesus Christ alone or are we trying to add other things? Or is our equation Jesus Christ minus? You know, people do these things where they pick and choose what they like about Jesus. They craft and design their own savior. But John wants to say to us this morning, if that is what we are doing, we are deceiving ourselves and we are liars. And so the takeaway here from this first test is that Christ needs to be Lord of our lives. We ought to be living for him and to know that outside of him, our lives have no purpose, they are meaningless. Particularly when we are speaking about our hope for eternal life or our hope for the kingdom of God. We ought to look to Jesus and to Jesus alone. And so let us heed this warning that John is giving us here that we are lying and we are deceiving ourselves if we are holding on to anything but Jesus alone. No, the Puritans have a saying that says, nothing in my hand I cling, simply to the cross I cling. Cling to the cross alone and nothing else. Look to Jesus only. And so again, as I said, that John is writing to warn the the, the church against the false teachers, but he's also writing to encourage. And so even as he's calling those who are false professors liars, listen to what he's also saying. Like as we look at our verse 1, the verse 1a in chapter 5 where he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So if that is what you believe, then be encouraged that indeed you have been born of God. And let no one take that away from you. you know, hold on to that. You know, a lot of us here have come from different backgrounds. You know, we come from different churches where different messages are preached and there's a lie that's often out there. Particularly in charismatic churches, I like to say to people that unless you pray in tongues, you're not saved. Unless you pray in tongues, you do not have the Holy Spirit. 
but listen to what John is saying to you here today. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, hold on to that because that confirms that you have been born of God. Let no one come and add an extra burden, an extra hurdle that you have to jump. Hold on to the message that John is preaching to us here this morning. And so that is the first test, which is the doctrinal test. What is our theology concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? The apostle then moves on in verse 1b of chapter 5. He says these words, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. He continues into verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And so here John wants us to understand that our relationship with the body matters. Because listen to what he says there. He says, everyone who loves the Father. So if we claim to love God, what ought we to be doing? We also have to love whoever has been born of God. So if we're sitting here with people who have been born of God and yet we do not love these people, John is saying that is a problem. And so the lie that John wants to combat here with this test that he's giving us is the lie that often says, our love for God is expressed only by the things we do for God. That it is a relationship between me and God alone. These rituals and traditions that I do for God, these, that's what proves that indeed I love God. But John wants to say to us this morning that that is not the case. John says to us here that our love for God is expressed most practically by the things we do for our brothers and sisters. By the things we do for the people who sit around us here this morning. And this is not a new teaching that is only coming up now here in the New Testament. This is, God has always worked like this. You know, through, in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 7 to 8, you do not need to turn there. Micah says these words, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of, of oil? You know, think of the sacrifice. Thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. That is a big sacrifice that, you know, if I made a small sacrifice to the Lord and he pleased him, how much more pleased will he be when I bring 10,000 rivers of oil? But listen to what Micah says in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God cares about how we live with the people around us. That is how we express our love for God. And so if we claim to love God, that will be shown that we see that in how we relate to the people around us. Listen to what John says in chapter 4, verse 20 of our, uh, our text in, in, in 1 John. Verse 20 of chapter 4. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, what is he? He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We cannot claim to love God while we do not show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our relationship to the people sitting around here this morning proves whether indeed we are holding on to something that is real or we are holding on to something that is fake. And so it is important here then that to realize that indeed our love for God is expressed most practically by how we relate to the people sitting around us. And a few weeks back, Pastor Mpumelelo taking us through the book of Acts, we looked at the, the lady Dorcas or Tabitha, who was commended for the works that she did. And in looking at that text, he took us to, to a text in Matthew chapter 25. And you could please turn with me there to Matthew chapter 25. 
you know, we looked at the text back then, but I think it's important for us to reconsider it again this morning because it really just drives home the point that our love for God is expressed by how we love one another. So in Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus Christ is relaying what is going to happen at the end. He's saying that there's going to be people sitting on his right and there's going to be people sitting on his left. And that he's going to say to the people sitting on his right that they are blessed and that they have done things for him. And those people are going to ask him and say, when did we do these things for you? When did we show you all these actions that you say that we've done to you? When did we do these things? And listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ responds in verse 40 and says of Matthew chapter 25. We are told, he says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Christ is saying there that you people on my right, you are blessed because you did, this, you did things to me. And yet they turn around and say, when did we do all these things to you? For especially they are thinking to themselves, we know there is a text that talks about people who've entertained angels unawares, but we don't remember doing things for you, Christ. But he says to them there that when they did these things to the least of his brothers, of these his brothers, they were doing them for him. And see the emphasis there that it is not just that they did it for his brothers, but also to the least of his brothers. They did not just consider the people who were just like, you know, on the same level as them but they considered even the least, the most vulnerable of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so then the question then that follows is, you know, how then do we show this love? You know, we are told here that our love for God is expressed by how we love one another. But what are some way, things that we can do? How do we practically express this love for one another? And we are helped there by Matthew chapter 25. So the things that the Lord Jesus Christ was saying that were done to him, he lists them there starting in verse 34. Let's see what are these actions that the believers did that they were then commended for. Chapter 34, sorry, verse 34 of chapter 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Are those not words we long to hear? Is that not something we want to, the Lord Jesus Christ to say to us? To say, come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. I hope that is our yearning, that the Lord Jesus Christ say those words to us. But why is he saying these words to these people? He continues in verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. These are the actions that they did for one another. They showed care for one another in this way and therefore they are now being commended. And they continue there that in verse 37 that the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did you see you sick or in prison and visit you? And now remember that response in verse 40. The Lord Jesus Christ says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So how do we show love toward God? We show love to each other. Us, us expressing love to one another is how we show love to God. And so let us not believe this lie that says that you know, we can have a private relationship with the Lord, that it is only the things I do, looking only at God, ignoring the people whom he has saved, and think that that proves that I am in the kingdom. 
And so what's the takeaway for us from this? The takeaway is this, that no believer must ever feel alone, unwelcomed, uncared for, or lack anything while we are here. As a body, we ought to be caring for one another. We ought to be on the lookout. And I, can see, I, I, I hope you see that there's something implied in there. You know, we don't have a notice board of needs here in the church that says, you know, so-and-so needs X, Y, and Z. It is us doing life together that we get to know what are the needs in our body. We get to know what people need because we do life with them. If you don't go and talk to someone, you're not going to know what's going on in their lives. And so it is by us doing life together, being invested in each other's lives, that we will then be able to love one another in this way. And I want to emphasize what the Lord Jesus Christ says there in verse 14. He says, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, and so even in our relationships, as we are doing life together, let us not ignore those who are on the periphery. Let us not ignore those who are, who, who are I guess, at the bottom according to whatever our standards of relations are. But let us do life fully with everyone who is here. Yes, we'll have people that you are closer to, but let no one who is a believer, let no one who has been born of God feel uncared for and unloved while we are here. And listen to what John says in going back to 1 John in chapter 3. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. Listen to what John says to us there. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So if we make the claim that we're abiding in the love of God, if we make the claim that we're in the kingdom, but yet we, and we also have been blessed with the world's goods, and then we see the needs and we close our hearts, is how, then, how can that prove that the love of God is abiding in us? And so that's why it is important here. The takeaway here is that we ought to love one another to prove that we love God. But that love for one another is a very practical love. You know, James talks about this in chapter 2. That you know, it is not just with words that we say things, but we practically come alongside each other. That is how we express our love for one another. And I just want to say that you know, in, in my time here at Heritage, this is one of the things that has been an encouragement to me when I've seen the church act in this way. We have seen believers go out of their way to sacrifice for the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we've, I've seen instances where a fellow brother and sister is unwell and others are, go to see them at home. They bring them a meal. They go to encourage them with the word of God. There are instances, you know, there, there are meal trains that are organized here in the church, particularly I think when families have just had a young child. You know, when the family, is, is, they've just had a young child, they're grappling with, how do we take care of this new human being in our home? And to see believers come alongside them daily to give them food that they have one less thing to worry about. You know, I have seen these encouraging things here, and so I want you to be encouraging to continue to do that. But I don't want us to think that we are perfect and that we've arrived. I think there's still a lot that we can do. You know, there's still a lot that we can do in practically saving one another. And so the encouragement to you this morning is, let us do that. Let us be on the lookout for the needs that are there. And again, in loving one another practically, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's only the people who lack that we, we come alongside. Sometimes it's just relieving a burden, you know. You've, there's a young mother who's got young kids, you know, the week has been rough, volunteering to say, I'll come babysit for the afternoon so that you can then find time to do something else. There's ways that we can serve one another, expressing love, generosity towards each other. No. The Tabitha was commended to us in Acts and also Cornelius 
And so let us remember these people that the, the Pastor Mpumela was commanding to us as people who showed generosity and kindness to others. And so let us love one another with the things that the Lord has blessed us with. Because see what John says in chapter 3, verse 17. It says, if we have the world's goods, we have the things to give. So let us give these things in loving one another. And it is not just money. It is our time. It is our attention. It is just going out of our way to even inconvenience ourselves for the sake of those who have been born of God. And so it is important then that we heed the message that John is saying here, that we love one another. For if we do not, then that proves that then we might still be in darkness. For John says to us in chapter 2 verse 9, listen to what he says there. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So if we claim that we've moved from darkness into light, that we've been born again, and, but yet we do not show this love to one another, John says that then could be proving or could be confirmation that we have not been born again and that we are still in darkness. But again, as I said, John is writing here to correct and rebuke, but also to encourage. And so in chapter 4, verse 7, he encourages the believers by saying these words. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So again, going back to the question that we're trying to answer this morning, how can I know for myself if I've been born of God? John says to you here in verse 7 of chapter 4, for whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you have love and care for your brothers and sisters as they are sitting with you here this morning, John says take that as confirmation that you have experienced the new birth or the, the second birth. Moving on to the third test or what is called the, the moral test, the one that has to do with our conduct. We pick it up there from our text again in chapter 5, starting in verse 2b. John says in chapter 5, verse 2, uh, starting in the middle there of verse 2, it says, When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So the third test that the Apostle John gives us here says to us that our affiliation with God is confirmed by us keeping his commandments. You know, there is a lie that often goes out there, and it was there during his time, and it's also prevalent in our time today. This lie of presuming on the grace of God, where Romans 6.14 is taken out of context. That verse that says we are no longer under law, but under grace. It is taken to mean that therefore I can live as I please for I am no longer under the law. I can ignore the law of God. But John says to us here in verse 2 that when we love God and obey his commandments and in verse 3 he says for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So if we claim that we are people who love God who are people who have been born of God who are people who are in the kingdom of God but yet we do not keep his commandments. John is saying here that we are lying to ourselves and we are deceiving ourselves. And again, John uses very strong language to drive these points home. So in verse 4 of chapter 2, listen to what he says. It says, Whoever says, I know him, whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments, what is he? He is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if someone says that I am not under law and I'm under grace, and then I can ignore the commandments of the Lord, what does John say to him here? He says, if that is what you are saying, you are a liar and the truth of God is not in you. 
And this is what the Lord Jesus also said in, in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We cannot ignore the commandments of God for our affiliation to God is proved by us keeping the commandments. And listen to what John is saying here. We are not saved by us keeping the commandments, but keeping the commandments proves that we are indeed saved. It is the confirmation that we need. It is what helps to give us assurance. And as we're thinking about these commandments and what John is saying here, there's a question that then should follow. What are these commandments? What are these commandments that John is talking, here, talking about here when he says that this proves that we love God when we keep his commandments? And I think there are many places in the scriptures that we can go to to look at the commandments of the Lord. But I think before we do that, it's important for us to think about why the commandments are given in the first place. You know, we, we, we've seen that we are saved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we are brought to overcome the world, that we are no longer like the world. And the commandments of the Lord are the things that will help set us apart. When someone looks at us and the people who are in the world, it is how we live, it is our conduct that sets us apart from the world. And so that is why it is important. The law is given that it may set us apart, that it may make us holy. For as Peter says, we must be holy as God is holy. And so the law is given to separate us. For there is nothing that changes physically when we are saved. Right? It's not like we gain new stripes or something that you can easily see that I am no longer like the people of the world. But it is our conduct. It is how we walk. It is how we relate to the commandments of the Lord. That is what proves if whether indeed we are in the kingdom or not. And so, as I said, you know, the, the commandments, the point of the commandments is to help set us apart from the world. And the, these commandments are listed everywhere. And we can look at the Ten Commandments as an example in terms of looking at the commandments of the Lord that we ought to keep. And, for example, we can look at the Sixth Commandment that says, Do not murder. That is a commandment of God that we have to keep. And I think if we just looked at it plainly and we just put it up there and said, you know, how does one know that they love God? How does one know that they keep his commandments? Well, the Bible says do not murder. That would be an easy box for many people to tick. You know? Well, I definitely haven't murdered anyone. Tick. You know? That should give me some sense of assurance that indeed I am in the kingdom. But the Lord Jesus Christ in his Sermon on the Mount so helpfully expounds what these commandments mean. That ultimately it is about us being holy. And so if we think it is just that I haven't murdered, therefore I'm fine, that is not it. For what does the Lord Jesus Christ say in the Sermon on the Mount? That you've heard it said that whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you, whoever hates his brother will be liable for the same judgment. So he equates murder and hatred. And that is true for ultimately hatred, if unrestrained by the grace of God, what would, where would it lead? It leads to murder. You know, that is where it ends up. And so here, when we look at the standard of you know, the commandment of God that we can keep and say that we know we love God for keeping his commandments, you know, now let's change it from do not murder to do not hate. Now how many people can then confidently take that one and say that I know that I have not fallen short of this one? You know? Or we can look at the one that follows the sixth commandment, the seventh one, that says do not commit adultery. And again, if you just left it as that, many people will take that box. You know, I definitely have not committed any adultery. Therefore, I can give myself assurance that indeed I'm in the kingdom. But what, the Lord, what does the Lord Jesus Christ say in the Sermon on the Mount? That whoever looks at, at a woman with lust has a com committed adultery. And so he, extra, he expands on that commandment because ultimately it is about us being holy as God is holy. So we cannot say this is a rigid standard here. I have not done committed adultery and therefore it is fine. 
And so in the same way, if we then to put it up and say, keeping the commandments of God proves that we love God, and the commandment is that we should not look in lust. How many can then take that box with confidence? And so as I'm saying these things, I, I, I think this then could be a question that's arising in, in your mind. You're like, you know, I hear the first test, the one that says, you know, we ought to look to Christ as our sole hope for salvation. Or the second test that talks about loving the people that sit around us. But is this third test saying that now we need moral perfection? Is this test saying that we need to walk perfectly, perfectly obey the commandments? Especially as we're saying, you know, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ says, we shouldn't hate, we shouldn't look in lust. You know, you might be looking back at the week that's been, looking at the instances where you've fallen short and now starting to doubt. Say, I thought you said John is writing here to encourage us. Why is he now crushing me? Why is he taking away what I was holding on to? And so the Apostle John wants to meet you where you are this morning. Listen to what he says to you in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, If you say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John is not lost. The idea that we stay still sin lingering on our bodies is not lost on the Apostle John. He knows that there is no perfection on this side of eternity. And so he says, if anyone makes the bold claim that they have no sin, what does he say there? They deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. So it is not perfect obedience. It is not sinless perfection that proves that indeed we love God. But then what is it that proves that we love God? What is John saying about us keeping the commandments here? And this is something that he deals with quite extensively in chapter 3. So we're going to look at a few verses there in in, in chapter 3 of 1 John. In verse 4 of chapter 3 he says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So what John is after here is the practice and pattern of sin, where sinning is what you do. You know, it is the pattern of your life. You know, it is not that you know, I, I fell short this week, this, I, 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 I was angry at someone, I looked lustfully, but is that, you, that is what you do. That characterizes your life. And he goes on, listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has seen him or knows him. So if we claim that we know God, if we claim that we have been born again, but yet we keep on sinning, sinning is the pattern of our lives. John says that we're deceiving ourselves here. And the language keeps getting stronger. Verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You can see, this is strong language here. John does not want people to deceive themselves into thinking, oh, I'm no longer under law, uh, under law, but I'm under grace. Therefore, I can live as I please. He's saying to you here in verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And continues on in verse 9 and says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And again, remembering the question that we're trying to answer this morning. How do I know? What things can I look to that prove that I have been born of God? Well, you are not making a practice of sinning. For John says there in in verse 9 of chapter 3 that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And so what John is getting at here is that what is the pattern of your life? What is your relationship with sin? Sin will raise up its ugly head in your life, but when it does, what do you do? Do you fight it? Do you put it to death? Do you resist it? 
or do you let it in? You sit comfortably with it. You know, it's like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it later. You know, well, I'm still enjoying the, the things that sin brings. If that is the pattern of our lives where we are not fighting sin, we're not putting it to death, but we're accommodating it in our lives. It is the nature and pattern of our life. Then John wants to say to us here, then we have not been born of God. No, we are not separate from the world because that is what the people in the world do. They enjoy sin, they live in sin, they don't fight sin, they are comfortable with it. And so if that is the pattern of your life where you are comfortable with sin, you're not resisting it and you're not fighting it, then you cannot have the assurance that is here. But if you are fighting it, if you are resisting it, if you are resisting sin and seeking to repent whenever you fall, seeking to put in measures to help you grow, going to the Lord and asking him to give you strength that you may continue to walk in holiness and to be conformed to the image of Christ. John then wants you to be encouraged. He says in verse 18 of chapter 5, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And so if the pattern of your life is to keep fighting sin and not to let it just live in your life, that it is just what you do. If you're fighting sin, John says to you here, then you have been born of God. For he says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And so that is the third test that the Apostle John gives us that looks at our conduct. How do we live in relation to God's law? But before we move on to this third test, I think it's important for us to consider this point. There's a lie that's often out there that the world likes to perpetuate. And, and John deals with it in our text here, as he says there in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And he says that his commandments are not burdensome. The world likes to come to us and say that, you know, the, the, the ways of Christianity are joy killers. They suck the fun out of life. That life that is lived in accordance to the law of God is not life that is full and enjoyable. But John is saying here that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. They are not adding a burden onto our lives. The way to the good life is through obedience. The way to have a good life, a peaceful life, a prosperous life is to obey what the Lord says. For it is the Lord who discourages, discourages us from being lazy. And we look around in the world, I know this is the, 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 the accusation or the, 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 the false statement that the world makes. But to prove that it's false, you just have to look at the world itself. How much heartache and pain is out there in the world because people are living as they want? How much heartache could be spared out there if people just listened and obeyed the commandments of the Lord? And so do not be discouraged and think, oh no, my life is going to be difficult because now I need to walk in obedience. I need to be obeying the commandments of the Lord. That is the way to the good life. That is how you have peace in life and that is how you prosper in life, by obeying the commandments of the Lord. And so just let, let us not be, allow the world to deceive us in that way. And now as we come to a close, you know, let us remember the question that we're trying to answer this morning or the question that is before us. How do I know for myself if I have indeed been born again? How do I know for myself if I have indeed overcome the world, if I have moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? How do I know that I've experienced the new birth? John wants to encourage you this morning and he wants you to know that indeed you have the new birth. Firstly, he says to you in verse 1 of chapter 5, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if Christ is your only hope and your sole hope for salvation, take that and bank it. John says, you have 
you have been born of God. Let that give you assurance. He continues again in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows him. And so if your pattern of life is to love the people of God, take that and bank it. Let that give you assurance. And he says again in verse 18 of chapter 5, that we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And so if the pattern of your life is to fight the sin in your life and not to just let it run rampant, but you're fighting it and you're putting it to death, listen to what John is saying to you here, that that proves that you have been born of God. Take that and bank it. But if you are sitting here this morning and as we go through these tests, you are thinking to yourself, I am falling short. I definitely, the, the pattern of fighting sin is not how I live my life. The love for God's people is not something that characterizes my life. Or I'm holding on to Christ plus many other things. If that is where you find yourself this morning, John also has a word for you. Listen to what he says in verse 9 of chapter 1. The Apostle John says, If we confess our sins, Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you find yourself that you are still in your sins, listen to what he says to you here, that confess them to Christ. Come to God in repentance and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So today there is a word for everyone wherever you are. The Apostle John is delivering this message and as he said there in verse 5 of chapter 1 that he's proclaimed to us what he received from Christ himself. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that indeed, Father, if there are those here, Lord, who have had instances of doubting if whether indeed they are in the faith, if indeed they've experienced a new birth, may you encourage them in their faith by your word. But Father, we also pray for those who might be holding on to fake things, those, Father, who might be giving themselves false assurance. May your word expose these fake things in their lives. May they repent and turn to Christ. We pray for all of us now, Father, help us to go out there and walk faithfully as those who have been set apart. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. sing one more hymn so if you're able to won't you stand with me and let's sing and can it be it's a heritage favorite this one so <laughs> sing it loud <laughs>